the idolatrous god of this age, and yes, of this age today. It operates like the demon found in Mark 9, for it cannot be held accountable through civil means. It wages a war of destruction in the name of revolution. It promulgates total misery under riddled sophistry of equality. And it unleashes tyranny in the name of safety. And it has produced a generation that is too open-minded to believe in arithmetic, too politically correct to believe in morality, and too inoffensive to say no when the devil knocks on the door of their heart. This spirit, it has come and infected all of our institutions. Righteous people cannot hold it back and hold it accountable through ordinary means, for this requires communication with God to defeat. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor here at Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And today we're going to be looking at the gospel according to St. Mark chapter 9 and be talking about this kind, which can only be driven out through prayer. And on that note, let's open up in prayer before we get into our message. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and assemble. Lord, wherever we may be, I ask that you send your Holy Spirit to open our hearts and minds to receive your strength, your wisdom, your encouragement. Lord, let us have great aspirations of holiness. Let us reach up towards the heavens and do great things in this life. Lord, let us not be torn down and distracted by the desperations of this world around us. As the world wants to, to fester and build ugliness, Lord, let us return with things of greatness and beauty that come from you. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So we're going to begin by going into the gospel according to St. Mark chapter 9 and reading verses 14 through 29. And then we'll get into a, a bit of an interesting message. So in Mark 9, 14, it says, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. And in verse 16, Jesus said, What are you arguing with them about? And in verse 17, a man in the crowd answered. He said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And in verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so in verse 20, they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy down into a convolution. And he fell to the ground, rolled around and started foaming at the mouth. And in verse 21, Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, the father answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or to the water in order to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the, father's, the boy's father exclaimed, he said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw the crowd was running towards the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. He said, you mute and deaf spirit. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked. It convulsed him violently, and then it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples, they came to him. 
And coming to him privately, they said, why couldn't we drive it out? And in verse 29, Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. So in Mark 9, the faithful were faced with an insurmountable evil, one which left them stumped. They were stumped trying to discern a tactic for combating it. The spirit possessing the child had concocted a web of chaos that could not be held accountable by civil means of righteous people. Hence, communication with God was required to cast out the darkness. Jesus loved both the father and the child, and redemption could not happen until the demon was dealt with. Redemption required that the demon be cast out. The child could not experience restoration or anything good in life until the spirit was cast out. And the same is found throughout the whole New Testament and throughout the world whenever there is demonic possession. Whenever there's a demonic force possessing people, people have to have that removed in order for them to experience anything good. In order for a demoniac to experience restoration, the terrible collective of spirits known as legion must first be cast out into the pigs and then sent into the sea. People cannot find meaning and be restored to their maker until the possessive spirit is fully cast out and defeated. That must happen in order for there to be redemption and restoration. And the idolatrous God of this age, it operates like the demon in this text, for it cannot be held accountable through civil means. It wages a war of destruction in the name of revolution. It promulgates total misery under riddled sophistry of equality. It unleashes tyranny in the name of safety. And this spirit, it is powerful, and it has taken possession of an entire generation and infected all of our institutions. Righteous people cannot hold it back by ordinary means, for it requires communication with God to defeat, and it must be defeated. This idolatrous God of this age, and you know, sometimes I might refer to it as legion, this possesses spirit which has come and infected our culture. This idolatrous God of this age has produced a generation that is too open-minded to believe in arithmetic, too politically correct to believe in morality, and too inoffensive to say no when the devil knocks on the door of their heart. And wickedness, it festers in this world. Wickedness festers in a world that asserts tolerance as an imminent virtue. If everything is tolerated, then evil will be tolerated. And you can rest assured that forces of evil will not play by the same rules that restrain the children of light. Just as when we go to Daniel chapter 6, when Daniel's thrown into the den of lions, King Darius was forced to throw Daniel into that den of lions against his will. And it was against what he knew to be good and noble. But the wicked forces used the atmosphere of fake virtues to force Darius to do that. And in our day today, wicked forces have used the atmosphere of fake virtues like tolerance to produce a generation where righteous accountability through civil means is impossible. Now this evil which is often very hard for us to define, but nonetheless, we must define it and we must give it a name so we can deal with it. This evil, it originates from hell and it can only be driven out through prayer. When we look to the world around us and ask how we got here, going back a few hundred years and we look at the course of, of human history, the course of Christianity, the course of our faith, there was a time when the eternal virtues of Christ were separated from one another and made to work as slaves for the various interests of humanity. Various men and women, they liked a certain interest, they liked a certain virtue, and they decided it would be okay to separate that virtue from the others. 
Really, when we look back to the Protestant Reformation, the church started to be comfortable splitting and separating the functions of the church into different ministries, into different denominations, and different institutions. We allowed this mentality to infect the church that if we are unpleased with something, if we don't think a certain virtue is being asserted highly enough, then we can just split off and go somewhere else. Rather than trying to maintain um, order and keep one another accountable, we just allowed the precedent of split and divide. Well, this was a very terrible thing. Again, this did produce a lot of different denominations and institutions, but it also it took the different ministries of the church, which were all meant to be interlocked together as a, mon, a, well, a monolithic body. Um, it certainly had different members of the body, but they were meant to be unified. Um, it did break all of that apart. Those who enjoyed mercy and compassion, they could serve in one area, and those who enjoyed truth and reason in another. Those who ran the institutions of ideas, like our schools and universities, and I'm speaking colleges and universities here, they were separated from those who understood the cost of misjudgment because they worked with their hands. So our thinkers, our professors, our theologians, they got separated from the people who actually did things. And people who actually do things with their hands, they understand that cause and effect relationships are real. If you have a bad idea, you make a misjudgment, you're going to have to pay for that. You're going to have something built that nobody really wants. You're going to chop a finger off. You might chop someone else's finger off. You're going to have a bad time if you make a misjudgment. But those who ran our institutions of ideas, they were separated from them. Therefore, the thinkers got separated from the fact that their thoughts might be wrong. And when you look at the virtues as a whole, our compassion got separated from the need to be truthful. Instead of doing truthful mercy and compassion that actually elevates people and helps them get past the suffering of life, our compassion devolved down to a point where we just kind of slap a hug on something and say, we love you, but we're not going to call you to any sort of holiness or righteousness. We're just going to let you be conformed to the sins and the norms of this world. However, as terrible as this sounds, this was not the final form of this pathology's progress. No, this progressive pathology had something deeper in mind. The cutting apart of real virtues ultimately devolved down into the dark caverns of meaningless fake virtues. Furthermore, it was here, it was here at this point of meaningless fake virtues that we found a great and terrible generation being produced. And here in this moment of fake virtues, a great and terrible generation emerged who barely remembered the Christian virtues at all. They remembered enough of the old Christian virtues to hate them for their absence. Just as a child who cannot articulate their longing for an absent parent can still act horribly in want of that parent, the God-shaped hole is real. It's quite real, and evil has come to fill that hole. And when we look at this generation, which has come to infect all that we do, whether it be professors, whether it be politics, Hollywood, our entire culture, instead of being entrenched in the holy aspirations of Christ, this generation has been raised and weaned on fake virtues. The meaningless make-believe slogans that are paraded in a world of tolerance and inoffensiveness. And this is where we find ourselves today, in the land of make-believe, where truth and meaning are not permitted. And this is a dark cavern. This is the dark cavern where communication with the light seems impossible. And it is by the power of mankind. And we got here for a, a number of reasons. Our world was repulsed by the offensive calling of God to turn from sin. So it receded into the caves, hoping to find a safe space where it could live without ever needing to tell anyone something they didn't want to hear. 
And in the spirit of believing that all cultures are created equal and that all voices are equally truthful, our world started listening to the siren song of Goblin Town. Now this was the message of a town where all were equal and no one would be criticized for either their ugliness or for their sin. And giving credence to this notion, our world made progress into the caves and took a downward path to Goblin Town, telling itself that there would not be any real goblins there because it had chosen not to believe in them. Our world, it, it told itself that it can have the judgment-free pleasure of Goblin Town without having to deal with the uneducated superstition of goblins. And what it found in the caves was terrible. And when we look around us today, what we find is terrible. You see, once the world took that path down to Goblin Town, once it made a, enough progress that it reached beyond the edges of the sunlight, once it walked beyond the limits of the natural light coming from that great and noble God, body created by God, once it got beyond the reaches of sunlight, it had to rely on lanterns and flashlights, only to find such illumination to be limited and temporary. And after a while, the lanterns and flashlights were depleted, and it was lost in the darkness. And there, lost in the darkness, the faint whispers began, getting louder and louder. And the question emerged, were these the whispers of goblins, or perhaps the products of insanity? And in truth, it was both. The line between sane and insane became invisible, just as the line between man and goblin was not visible, for there was no light. The line between the beautiful and the ugly was gone, and in darkness all are equally reduced to something inhuman. And rather than finding bliss like the world expected, the world rather found horror in the jurisdiction of Goblin Town. And it truly is horrible to be trapped in a domain of misery without any communication with the light. And for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, there is no escape from this dark cavern of Goblin Town. There is no practicable solution that they can design that will reestablish communication with the light. Once they have made it to Goblin Town, the only hope is that the light comes to them. But hope did come. And as a miracle of heaven, the light did come and the light has been made available to us. Accepting the radiating, illuminating gift of Christ Jesus is the only solution. Only through communication with God, only through prayer, is this peril resolved? So, going back to Mark 9, let us not be confused about the spirit possessing the boy in Mark 9. It does not want to coexist with the boy, although it might have said that to get you to let it in. Instead, it wants to infect him, to inhabit his mind and body, to replace his soul as the force of his existence. There is not a single facet of this boy's existence that the spirit does not want to plunder and destroy. The spirit only keeps enough of the boy intact so that it has a warm body to pilot. That's it. It keeps enough of his corpse intact so that it's alive, that he can use it as a vessel to pilot around on this earth so that it can do its wicked deeds. This is evil, and it is abhorrent to God. And the antidote given to us is prayer. Prayer is communication with God. It's a practicable pathway that draws us to the light and keeps us focused on things above. In order for us to implement and understand this antidote, we must discuss it and really have a good understanding of prayer. For you have to see, sincere prayer cannot be separated from a life of godly action. 
St. Isidore Seville, he sheds a lot of very interesting light on this in a simple statement. St. Isidore of Seville, he reminds us that when we pray, we talk to God, and when we read, God talks to us. Communication and movement along the way of life is something in which you must take responsibility. You have to have some initiative. You know, don't rely on others. And this is especially true when there is such a great possession of our society and culture. Do not rely on others, but work out your own faith in fear and trembling. Once you have the gift of the light, you must put forth effort to move towards Christ and do the work of his kingdom. In the kingdom of God, there are only two things which you cannot do. You cannot advance sin and its causes, and you cannot be idle. But unfortunately, the idolatrous God of this age has trained us to be idle. The idolatrous God of this age, the spirit possessing us, it has trained us to be idle in our faith and to rely on others to have courage for us. And this really was a clever move because it also planned on infecting all the institutions to which we outsourced our courage. All of our universities, our politicians, all the people that would be proxies for us, and even within our own denominations, the people that we would rely on to have courage for us to fight the battles, well, all of these people, all of these structures, they got infected by this idolatrous God of this age. It came to take them over and to make them disabled where they could not fight against it. The idolatrous God of this age, it trained us to be idle and to outsource our courage to people who it would then take over. And it really was a very, very clever move. And this structure, it cannot stand against this spirit. And although we can't defeat it ourselves, we can communicate with God and move forwards to cast out and defeat this spirit. Do not rely on others to have courage for you. God does not tell the disciples that they have to have all the answers. So don't feel like you have to have all the answers either. And don't expect that you have to have perfect knowledge on every subject either. A lot of times we're told to shut up if you don't know everything. But, you know, God does not expect the Father in this story to have perfect knowledge. Coming to Jesus, as we find in Mark chapter 9, saying, I believe, help my unbelief. That will suffice. But you must be willing to start the work. You must be willing to be like Nehemiah, with the mason's trowel in one hand, ready to do some hard manual labor, and a sword in the other, ready to use it. Do not be discouraged and think that you are alone. The nature of this spirit is to convince you that you are alone, trapped in goblin town and cut off from communication with the light. Establish communication with the light and hold on to it. Hold fast to the great and eternally true virtues of God. Do not be idle, but fearlessly use the light to cast out the spirit that possesses your neighbor. God did not design us to be possessed by wicked spirits that make us mindless members of a collective. This idolatrous spirit, it must be cast out and it must be defeated in order for restoration to be experienced. Our God is a God of holy restoration and nobility not of chaos and darkness. And therefore, let us take courage in his light. And on that note, let's say the Lord's Prayer together and we'll wrap up this message. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And on that note, God love you and have a blessed day.